Some changes to the off-field coaching staff happened at TCU earlier this week, so we'll break down what the moves are, and are they going to bring in someone from the outside? Will this be internal hires? All that and more next on Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. I'm your host, Stephen Simcox. We are free and available wherever you get your podcast. You can also subscribe. Uh, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel, Locked on Horn Frogs. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And it's audio variety. And we're talking to off-the-field coaching staff today because there have been some changes. And one of these changes has been rumored for a while. And it just finally became official. Another change was a little bit of a surprise. Um, but Anthony Crispino, who was the general manager for TCU football. And the general manager position is something in college football that has become um, kind of a new thing within the last five or six years with all the changes now in rosters. I mean, you know, we see through the transfer portal, guys are leaving, guys are coming in. Um, it, it's sort of like a director of player personnel, even though that's a bad comparison because that's also someone that's on most college coaching staffs. But essentially – it's one of the people that's closest to the coach as far as roster management, how we're running football operations, you know, logistically, what are we doing on a day-to-day basis, kind of things that now in the new world of college football coaches uh, can't have their hands on as much or, or don't want to have their hands on as much. They sort of farm it out to these general managers. And uh, Anthony's been with Sonny for a while. He um, was with Sonny at SMU, ended up moving on with him to TCU. And the first time I remember hearing about these types of positions was Austin Thomas. When Dave Aranda got the job at Baylor, I was doing radio with Matt Mosley at the time. And we had Austin Thomas on who was the new GM at Baylor. And he talked about just what it was, which at the time it sounded kind of like a, a real hustle to me. Like I didn't quite understand the need for a GM in college football with all the changes in, in the roster now and just everything that goes down on a week-to-week basis and year-by-year basis, I do feel like it's necessary. Um, so Crispino's the GM, and then Jeff Jordan is kind of the guy that's more on the field role. Like, he's Sonny's sounding board when it comes to strategy. But Anthony announced on Twitter that he'll be moving on to Nebraska. Um, he put out a pretty lengthy statement on social media yesterday. Um, he said, I put off putting my farewell posts as there aren't enough words for how appreciative and grateful I am for my time with Coach Dykes and Kate. We built something special at SMU and took TCU to new heights, all because of your vision. It was an extremely hard decision, uh, but with discomfort comes growth. I can't thank Coach Dykes, Kate Dykes, Jeremiah, Donati, and the incredible people at TCU enough. More importantly, how appreciative we are of all our friends. We'll miss each and every one of you. He goes on to say Texas has been a great home for him. He met his wife here. Um, he's got a beautiful baby girl and a dog. Texas has been everything to him. But he's moving on to Nebraska football, and he couldn't be more excited to be part of the staff, university, and community, a little closer to family for both of us and heading back to the Midwest. Um, And so, yeah, he's headed to Nebraska to work with Matt Rule and that staff. And Jeremy Clark had reported this a few weeks ago, I think, and he had been on the story for a while, and it's now official. Um, I think Football Scoop might have had something about it too, but Jeremy Clark was the first person in Horn Frog List that I saw 
report this move. So Anthony Crispino moving to Nebraska. And I mean, I wonder if they're going to hire somebody within or if they'll bring in an outside force. But uh, in the past few years, these positions have become pretty important. And I think it goes hand in hand with recruiting and scouting. And speaking of the recruiting side, um, Eron Hodges, who has been on staff for the past few years, he will be taking a position at Alabama. Now, Hodges has been at TCU for the past two seasons as the director of recruiting or recruiting coordinator. He also got named as a defensive analyst this past year in an effort to get him more involved in the you know strategy and, and those types of things. Um, Hodges is really active in social media. He's a fun guy to follow. Uh, he brings a lot of energy to the position. I know that he was – very active and, you know, setting up recruiting visits, making sure like, okay, what kind of vision do we want to cast when guys come in, staying in touch with high school players, but he'll be taking on an associate uh, player personnel position at Alabama under the new head coach there, Kalen DeBoer. And Hodges has a good resume. I mean, he did a really good job at Purdue as a court, as a recruiting coordinator there, um, helped them pull in like a top 25 class. And then he was at Louisville for one season and then it's ECU for two. For whatever reason, I mean, this is like this is coaching in general, but it seems like especially these off the field support positions like this, um, there's just a lot of turnover. Like I, I don't really have a great explanation for why, but I feel like a lot of these guys that are in these types of roles, it's like all right, one or two years here, then a year here, then three years. Like it's just you don't see a lot of like for the last 15 years, this guy's been in this role at a certain school, but um, Hodges will be moving on as well. And so it makes me think with two guys leaving in that kind of realm, in that off the field, you know, recruiting um, sort of logistics area, you would need to bring one person in. Now I don't know who that's going to be, but I would think you would bring one person in from the outside to replace that staff. At the moment, Dave Robertson is sort of, in charge of all the recruiting. He's the director of recruiting strategy. And, you know, Dave's not super active on social media, but people that report on recruiting like Jeremy Clark say that he's done a good job of staying in contact with guys. You know, when, the, when he goes to these camps, when he's, when there's players on campus, they know who Dave is. They talk to him. Um, here's what I'll say. I think in the last few years, you know, when Sonny came over from SMU, he had Rashad Samples, and then they hired Brian Carrington, which was a huge deal at the time. And those guys were obviously, you know, fan, and all are fantastic at their jobs. They're Arizona State now. It's really tough to talk about, like, how much of an impact Samp had at TCU. I mean, I know there were players that were here because of him. They came over from SMU to TCU because of him. But before the season even started, he was the running backs coach for the Rams. So – he didn't even make it one full year before moving on. I think they do really miss Brian Carrington and his connections and just his ability to, you know, relate to kids, kind of bring an energy and an identity to that side of the TCU coaching staff and the messaging they want to put out and what they want to do. So something like there's something that is dipped with recruiting at TCU over the past year or so in the high school ranks. I don't have all the, the details as to why that is, but they closed really strong um, with that 2022 class. 
on, obviously on the way to the national title game. I think a big part of that was had some great opportunities for visits where they're playing in big games, right? Home games against Kansas State where the, the crowd was packed and things were crazy. Home game against Oklahoma State where the crowd was packed and it was a great ball game. Um, and then in 2023, it seemed like they swung for the fences and they kind of had to recalibrate and they ended up going after guys that uh, had high ceilings, if you want to say that, like maybe weren't the highest ranked at the time they offered them. The time everything kind of worked out, um, they ended up as high three stars type of players. But TCU has is, is fallen behind a little bit in high school recruiting. Now, in the new look Big 12, they're really only behind UCF and Texas Tech. Um, and Colorado – pulled in some some five-star players, but they had a relatively small high school class. Coach Prime is mainly doing this through the portal. And it seems like Coach Dykes and this coaching staff have decided they're going to try to do a lot of this talent acquisition through the portal. Um, I am still skeptical that you can compete for championships and have the kind of depth you need without pulling in big-time players in the high school ranks. And I know a huge part of this is an I.L., and people that like, you know, there's, listen, I'm not dumb. I get it. There's people that just say recruiting is all about NIL now. It's about your war chest. How much money do you have? And they like to be very smug about it. They're like, if you if you believe it's about anything else, that you're just naive and, and stupid, basically. Um, and like, I get it. I think NIL is a huge deal. I understand why it's the biggest driving factor for these young people, like, yeah, money drives just about everything, right? So it's no surprise that in the recruiting world, that's become a huge part of um, landing players. Georgia and Alabama, they got good coaches who develop relationships with players. They also got a lot of money. Texas has good coaches that have developed relationships with players. They also have a lot of money. Uh, TCU, you know, it's been kind of whispered around that Sonny and the coaching staff have um, approached this with an idea of, hey, we're not going to give – we're not going to write blank checks to high school players because there's just so many variables about whether or not they're going to be good. We'd rather spend our resources trying to retain talent, like guys that have already proven it on the roster, and also trying to land guys in the portal. And I think they they shifted a little bit this year in, in their portal strategy, and they're going after players that have – Played a lot of college football, you know, regardless of what level it is, whether it's group of five, FCS, power five, they want guys that have played a lot of snaps and have experience and they want to commit resources to those players. I think that's a wise strategy. It makes sense, right? Like it makes sense in a vacuum, just describing that and saying it out loud. That being said, it seems pretty obvious, you know, the schools that are winning titles and in the playoff and at the top of the sport, they are investing a lot in high school recruiting from a monetary standpoint, from a resource standpoint. And so I'm, I'm kind of skeptical that TCU can keep up if they're not going to be able to do that. But I also think it's important. I still do think it's important to have staffers on the recruiting side of things that understand how the sport's changing, that understand how to relate to kids, how to build relationships, because I, I think those things still mean something. I know it's not the end-all be-all like it was five years ago, but I feel like it is still a factor in the decision. 
I don't think it's as simple as, you know, just having a collective that writes checks and picks up the phone and calls players, even though I know it's a huge part of what's going on here. So I'll be interested to see which way they go. But Anthony Crispino, the general manager for TCU, and then Iran uh, Hodges, who was the director of recruiting or recruiting coordinator for the Frogs, they're moving on to different positions. And so we'll see if Coach Dykes brings someone in to fill those roles or if they just promote from within and kind of keep the recruiting staff they have right now together and intact for the time being. When we come back, uh, you guys had some good reactions to our show yesterday. So we'll talk about that next year. Locked on Horn Frogs. Your team every day. FanDuel Super Bowl coming up. It's uh, about a week away, nine days away from Niners and Chiefs. Going to be a good matchup. Excited about it. And if you want to try to make some money on the Super Bowl, go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. You just place one $5 bet, and you get $200 in bonus bets. So you can make a simple $5 money line bet. Who you think is going to win the game? The Chiefs or the Niners? Get $200 in bonus bets, and then you can start looking at, okay, do I want to place some money on some prop bets, over-unders? Who's going to score a touchdown in the game? Who's going to score the first touchdown in the game? Who's going to score first in this game? All kinds of options at FanDuel.com. They also have the FanDuel app, which is really easy to download and use, super easy to navigate. FanDuel, the time is now. You watch sports all the time. You're interested in it. Try to start making some money off of it at FanDuel.com. Get that $200 in bonus bets for new customers, or you can download the FanDuel app and use that today. FanDuel is the official betting partner of the NFL and also a proud sponsor of the Lockdown Network. Again, that website is FanDuel.com slash Lockdown or the FanDuel app. One $5 bet. You can just bet on who you think is going to win the ball game and get $200 in bonus bets, not just the NFL, NBA, everything there, NHL, FanDuel. Official betting partner of the NFL and a proud sponsor of the Locked On Network. So I had the guys from uh, the Riff Ram uh, review on yesterday from KTCU. And we were talking about TCU. We, we bounced around. We talked about TCU football. We talked about basketball and baseball as well. But we talked about expectations for TCU football. And it's really early in the game, right? We just got the schedule. The roster is still being finalized. The roster is finalized, but the depth chart can be finalized over the next few months and spring ball and then going into the summer and the fall as well. Who's going to win these battles? We don't know yet. What's the starting offensive line going to look like? But one thing seems pretty clear based on kind of my projections early. I said eight and four. I think like eight wins is a pretty good barometer for next season. I feel like that's where the team's going to be. I made much bigger proclamations and had much more optimism going into last year and got burned by that pretty badly. So that, that factors into my decision a little bit. But ultimately, I still have questions about this offensive line. How are they going to come together? Uh, I think in the skill positions, they're pretty set, but I, I do wonder about running back. I wonder what this offense is going to look like with Josh Hoover at QB. And I think Andy Avalos was a great hire as the D.C., but it does take time to figure these things out when you're talking about bringing in a new system, uh, running a new defense, and finding ways to be effective you know, in in year one of, you know, what's going to be a whole new program with the defense. But a lot of you guys are more excited about this team than me. Um, Apollo says it needs to be an all-or-nothing mentality. The school has deserved that for years. They need to win a national championship. They need to put Fort Worth on the map and go 12-0. and 0. Okay, yeah. I, I think that's definitely what the team wants, and it's what I want. It's what everybody wants. 
Uh, that's not what I'm expecting. <laughs> I mean, I, I would love for them to go 12-0. and 0. I think that'd be fantastic. And they surprised me into that a few years back. And I, I do think the schedule is more manageable this year. But I think coming off last season, it's kind of silly to expect that to happen. But if that's like if if that's what you if you're worried about that being the mentality for the school and the university, I think that's definitely what they're working towards. You know, I think Sonny Dykes and his coaching staff, that's what they're working towards. That's what they want. Um, but I'm talking about expectations like what do I think is gonna happen? I highly doubt they're gonna be a 12 and 0 football team. Um Tebow said they should contend for a Big 12 title in this first year in the new Big 12. It's important to set a standard. He said my prediction of seven and five or eight and four would be disastrous. He sees nine and three or ten and two. The new defense will be so much better. It can't be any worse than next year, the last year. I think the defense is gonna be better. Um, but this is a, a, an Andy Avalos defense that is predicated on, you know, it's kind of complex. There's different responsibilities, a lot of hybrid players bringing pressure. Um, I mean, I've said this before. The D-line is going to be a huge factor for me. If they can consistently get pressure, then this defense can be really good. Um, Now, I feel like sometimes people make this too simple, and they're like, okay, yes, they're going to be running a 3-3-5 system, if you want to call it that, but there's going to be a lot of four-down and five-down linemen. You know, the stud linebacker position is kind of like an edge rusher. Um, your other outside linebacker can come up to the line as well. I think he's going to bring pressure from the secondary at times. But just having more numbers doesn't automatically equate to getting to the QB. Like, you still have to have the players to do it. Now, you know, they went and got Devin Deal, who has played a similar kind of off-the-ball position at Tulane. Cooper McDonald, same story at San Diego State. Um, so I think they're working towards getting the edge players to do it. And then you got Marcus Deal, who's been in the program for a few years. Avion Carter has been in the program for a few years. Dominic Williams, Tymon Mitchell, um, Caleb Fox, all these guys, they're going to have to find ways to get pressure. And if they can do that, if they can win their one-on-one battles, which that is something that Avalos is known for, is putting his defensive line and his linebackers in good positions to rush, to rush the passer, um, then I think this defense is going to be much better. And I, I agree with you for the most part. I don't really think it can be worse. But on the other side of that, offensively, you have to be more efficient because there were games last year where the defense played pretty well and the offense just didn't score. You know, the second half of the West Virginia game, they got shut out against the Iowa State. They played horribly on offense until finally starting to figure it out. Against Oklahoma, yeah, the defense was horrible. They were giving up score after score, but they also got down like 42 to 17 because the offense couldn't answer. And then finally, the offense kind of got back in the ball game. So it, it, it's it's got to be a balance. The offense has to be more efficient this year. Defensively, they have to be better. Um, but hey, that's fine. Like I I think if your expectations are higher than just making a bowl game and winning a few more games than that, I totally get that. But they were favored in a lot of games last year, but they lost. Um, Stephen Hill says I'm concerned about the QB position. I'm not really concerned about Josh. I think he'll be okay. I really feel like it's going to come down to what are the guys around him like. I don't necessarily think, you know, I think Josh possesses a lot of the intangibles that you want. I feel like he is good at getting the ball quickly, delivering accurate throws, especially in the short and intermediate game. I would love to see more of a downfield threat this year. I think part of that's going to be the receivers they brought in as well. But you're going to have to stretch the field. 
Um, they threw a ball a lot last year with him in there. I, I broke down those splits last uh, a couple of days ago. Like there were you know games where he had 58 pass attempts, 54 pass attempts. You know even against Baylor where they're in their most balanced, he had like 35 pass attempts. They were getting after it throwing the football. Um, I think he can do the job well, but you have to protect him. Skilled guys are going to step up and make plays. And again, it just comes down to can you move the chains? Can you avoid a lot of those empty possessions they had last year? And can you also find ways to get in the end zone when you get in the red zone and when you get in scoring territory? And then Tommy Fesher said it'd be a massive failure to only win seven games. We're not playing any elite teams. We'll have the first or second best roster in the conference. These dudes are young, but we lost four games last year by one score or less. We won zero games within one score. We're not playing UTROU. Should be favored in every game except for maybe Utah and KU. Um, he thinks they were closer to a nine-win team than people think. Yeah, I mean, I I think they'll be favored in most games uh, next year. I don't think they won't be favored on the road against Utah. I don't think they'll be favored on the road against Kansas. And I mean, it's kind of silly to project these things right now because we don't know what the season's going to look like. But that's just my guess. Um, they'll probably be a slight favorite at home against Arizona if they're having a good season, just because it's a home game. But I don't know, guys. I mean, I just, like, we said a lot of these things last year, and they lost. And it wasn't like they just lost Oklahoma and Texas. I mean, yeah, they did. They lost OU and Texas. But they also lost to a really bad Colorado team. They lost to a very mediocre West Virginia team. They lost to a very mediocre Iowa State team. They got destroyed by Kansas State. Now you're avoiding Kansas State this year. But, like, they lost to the middle of the pack kind of mediocre teams in the Big 12, teams that they had better rosters than. So, like, okay, they got a more talented roster. They had a more talented roster last year than a lot of teams they played. They didn't win some of those games. So I just got to – Sonny and the staff's got to prove it to me. The players have to prove it to me. Um, Because there were some embarrassing losses. And, yeah, they were by one score, but they lost by one score to teams that we thought they were going to destroy. They lost by one score to Colorado. They were favored by, like, 23 freaking points. You know? I mean, like, that was a bad loss. They lost to West Virginia by a score, and they had two blocked field goals. If we can play the game, it could have, should have, would have. They should have won that game by 10-plus points, but they didn't. Right? Like, I think they should have gone on the road and beaten Iowa State, but they didn't. So – and Iowa State ended up having a good record last year. They had a much better team than people thought. Matt Campbell kind of restored things. Um, I'm just at a point where I'm like, listen, I hope the team's really good. I think they have the talent to be a factor in the Big 12. I think they have talent to be a contender in the Big 12. But you got to go prove it. Because last year they were favored in a lot of games. Or, you know, just looking on paper, you're like, yeah, they should win that ball game, and they didn't. So go get it done now before I start, like, making all these grand proclamations about what they're going to be. And that's, that's just where I'm at at the moment. But that could change. And, yeah, I agree with you, Tommy. I don't think a lot of people will be happy with seven or eight wins. But I'm just kind of projecting, like, what I think they're going to be. And I, I hope I'm wrong about that. And we'll see. You know, we'll see when the games start and when it gets going. When we come back, I will finish up with some talk about Kenrich Williams, his jersey retirement tomorrow, the Flocked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. So big game against Texas tomorrow for the Frogs. TCU basketball looking to go to six and three in conference play. Um, and, I mean, they'll be halfway through conference play at the end of tomorrow afternoon. And if you end up six and three, and that's a that's a big deal. Texas is talented, man. That's a talented team. I, I'm curious to see what their 
uh, energy level is going to that ball game. And Shulamar Arena has been a great home for TCU. Now, one cool thing that's happening tomorrow at halftime, Kenrich Williams is getting his jersey retired. And I saw Jamie Plunkett, who does a good job covering the Frogs. He had some quotes from Jamie Dixon yesterday, and he said that um, there's going to be a lot of the luminaries there. Uh, Dr. James Cash will be there, who has a statue now at TCU, um, first African-American scholarship athlete in the Southwest Conference, and uh, was a great player for the Frogs. He'll be there. Um, Trent Johnson's going to be there, Kendrick's former coach, and a lot of former players. And I kind of made a joke on Twitter about Trent being there. I just – I don't know. Trent was the coach when I was in school, and so – those teams are kind of close to my heart, and I thought he was a good dude. I thought it was a funny dude. A lot of people proceeded to explain to me why he was there, which, like, I get it, guys. I know, I know why. I know why Jamie invited him. I think it's a good idea. And uh, Jimmy Plunkett said that you know, Dixon said he made a point to get on the phone and call Trent because Trent um, recruited Kenrich to TCU, and he he wanted to be there in person. Kenrich has gone on to have a really nice career in the NBA. He's playing for the Thunder now. Um, I do think it's intriguing. I've seen some people be like sort of surprised that they're having this honor for him. And, you know, he's 25th in scoring all time. Um, Now he's fourth in rebounding. And a lot of the things that Kenrich did for the program, I don't think can be measured in stats alone. Of course, Billy Wessels, who used to cover uh, TCU, he gave him the nickname Kenny Hustle. But he was always a guy that made, like, made huge plays, did the dirty work, did the things you have to do to win. I think more than that, he's kind of a symbol of the culture changing for TC basketball. I remember he was there, you know, for a few years with Trent and Coach Johnson would talk about him a lot in post game. Like even after they were getting beat, at least Kenrich is out there making things happen. And he ended up being on some of those teams with Jamie. You know, he was on that team that broke through and made the tournament. Disappointed they couldn't beat Syracuse. That that team deserved better than they got. But that was a really good group with him and Alex Robinson. Jalen Fisher, unfortunately, couldn't really stay healthy, but he was great. Uh, Vlad was fantastic. J.D. Miller was really good. I, I am curious what they do because, you know, you're retiring his jersey now, and there's other players on the team that I think were just as impactful as him. Like I feel like Alex Robinson, who is career assist leader, outstanding player, ran that offense. He also kind of falls in that category. I wonder if they'll retire more jerseys from that group, but excited to see that tomorrow. Kendrick Williams retiring his jersey or getting his jersey retired. TCU in Texas, chance for the guys to get to 6-3 and three in conference play and continue to stay hot and win Big 12 games. We'll be back on Monday. It's Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast.